that moment where Peter, the man that was called the rock by Jesus, looks into the face of Jesus as he denies that he even knows who he is. He spent three years in every waking and sleeping moment just being with this man, being with Jesus, seeing all the incredible miracles that he has done, the way that he has loved people, the way that that Jesus has cared for Peter himself and called him into something greater and that Jesus' hours before this washed Peter's feet. He's changed his name, given him a new name from Simon to Peter, Cephas, Petros, the rock. And then all of this happens in this moment. And this is what we will look at today, this story of Peter denying Jesus three times. And so that's why we had you grab a rock on your way in. To hold on to this rock, to consider Peter, but to consider our own failure, our own sin, our own denial of Christ. And to think about it as we hold on to this rock and we'll have a chance to respond with it at the end of this this time in this sermon. Um, You know, it's Jesus talks a lot about planting. Jesus talks a lot about farming and, and uh, the, the land and the earth and plants. And we, he talks about how some will plant seeds and some will reap the harvest. But we even see as he speaks about soil that some will remove rocks to make the soil be good for planting. Some are going to take that time to clear that out and to remove those rocks. Sometimes rocks are a good thing, right? Where a rock is a foundation, it's a strong foundation. That's the way Jesus was speaking to Peter. But sometimes rocks are a bad thing and they need to be cleared out. And so Jesus is even helping Peter in this moment to clear out some of these sorts of times where he is speaking too soon, where he is brash and, uh, I don't know, prideful even, I would say. And then it leads to a moment like this of sin and failure and denial. But we, we know, we know Peter's story. And we know that Jesus is helping Peter become the rock that is the leader of the early church. And so Jesus knows about us and our sin and our failures and what he is trying to create in us to be. And so that is what we have today as we hold on to this for you to consider. What are my moments of failure? What are my moments of shame? What are my moments of denial? And to say, Lord, I want to have you remove these so I can be that rock like Peter and make an impact on the world for Christ. Because I believe that this story, and that's why I've just called this, it's not just Peter. Okay, it's easy to look at this story and think, Peter. How could you? How could you deny Jesus moments after he's washed your feet? Moments after you've pledged yourself to him? But I think it's a lot easier for us to do this than we think. You with me a little bit on that? You, you, you feel that? Okay. So let's, let's dig into this text. You see on the screen there, Mark 14. Now there's a couple interesting things as you turn to Mark. Uh, in the New Testament, the later part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we are in Mark 14. We'll start in 27, and we start in this part that comes 
before he actually denies Jesus, and it's sort of that flashback moment that you saw in, in the movie version there from Passion of the Christ. And they've had the Last Supper, and as, as they leave, it says actually in verse 26, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then we, we get into this scene here. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. That's not a super encouraging message, right? You will all fall away to his core disciples. Because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And even that part is kind of another, it's a part of all of this is foreshadowing and predicting what's happening. And how he's going to meet Peter actually in Galilee. Verse 29, but Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. <laughs> Just stop for a moment and let those words sink in, right? Just, uh, everybody else is going to blow it, but not me. As he's standing there with all of his friends that are looking at him like, wait, what, dude? You know, like, what did you say about me? And, and Peter, obviously we know how the story goes. Verse 30, and Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. All right, so a couple things are happening in this little part. We've got this part where Jesus says to them, you're all going to fall away. And there's this prophecy of that that he says about uh, they'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And we see that they do. They do all run away when Jesus was arrested in the garden. They all bail. They run. They flee. They're terrified. And I think actually, though, Jesus is doing something here that, that I think is a, a grace. I think it's a shepherding act. It's a loving act that he is doing for them. I'm saying this. Because he's saying, look, you're going to blow it. You're not going to stand strong. You will all run. And so when they do, I think they know that Jesus already knew it. And Jesus still loves them in the midst of that very moment. And you know, you will probably before this day is done, you will sin against your God. It is highly likely. And I want you to know that he already knows. And he loves you in this moment. Okay? He wants you to live a life of holiness and righteousness. That's his desire for you. And that's what brings him glory and honor as we live that out. He wants that. But he knows that you're going to blow it. He knew that they were going to run. And he loves and cares for them in the midst of that. And then it goes to Peter saying, oh, no, no, no. And throwing his friends under the bus as he says he will never ever fall. And he says, I will die with you, okay? I will die with you before I would ever do that. And I think actually in this moment that Peter is, is thinking not about sort of the way that Jesus is thinking about dying or the way that Peter will ultimately die. I think Peter is thinking, I'm going to go down swinging with you, Jesus. 
You are the Messiah, the one that's come to deliver us from these Roman occupiers, and it is on. Let's go do this. And you see him actually do it, because moments later, when Jesus is arrested, Peter's like, all right, let's go. This is the time. I will go down with you, swinging my sword. And he does in that moment where he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And so what I really wonder, though, is, What's going on in Peter's mind after he's thinking, I will die with you in this battle. And then Jesus stops them from fighting, takes the ear and heals it of that servant in the midst of this moment and says, no, I'm willing. I will go and be arrested. You know, go ahead. And I think what's happening here is everything's just, Peter's just in shock. Everything's changing. He's disillusioned. He, he he doesn't understand really what's happening. Why would Jesus just go willingly like this? I said I would go down swinging with you, and now you're just letting yourself be arrested? What's happened? Like, this is not what I signed up for. And so then Peter is following along, and he's going over to this, this uh, courtyard of the high priest, and he's wanting to see what, what is happening because all of his hopes and all of his dreams and all of his expectations are falling before him, and then he goes in and sees Jesus step into this trial moment, and then that's where he has to then be faced with this test that he utterly fails, that we see all the way down in verse 66. And all this is happening while at the same time Jesus is being tried before the Sanhedrin. And it says in 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he denied it. That's two times. And after a little while... The bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear. He cursed at them and then swore this like an oath. I do not know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a rooster crows twice... You'll deny me three times. And he began to weep. Peter weeps there in this moment. We saw that moment where he's looking even in that film, just seeing Jesus in that moment as he denies him. And it, it comes over him and he begins to weep in this time. So at the same time that Jesus is faithfully professing before a group that has the ability to kill him, and Jesus says, I am, when they ask him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and all of the power. In that moment, Peter is outside saying, I don't even know the man. How's that for a juxtaposition? of faithfulness. And Peter is denying Jesus. Why? Why does he do this? Why? You have to ask that question. I hope you're thinking that question. Why? I mean, some things are obvious, right? Fear. I think he's maybe afraid of what's going on. That, that disillusionment of 
all that's happening and now he's just, he doesn't know how to react to all of these changes in his mind and so he's reacting in this way and in fear and awkwardness, self-preservation, not wanting to stand out in the middle of this moment where someone's being arrested and someone's being accused and you're, you're with that person, you want to distance yourself from that person and all of that. And he's also being looked down upon, the people from Galilee and that Jesus as a Nazarene, they're looked down upon by the people in, in Jerusalem and Judea and this area. And, and so he's just got all of this stuff happening and he denies that he knows Jesus. And denying someone is just a, it's, it's way more brutal than disagreeing, right? Or even saying, like, I, no, I'm not, I'm not with him right now. You know, or something, something other than just denying you even know him. Can you imagine someone that you knew that you've spent three years of your life with? You've been with that. Maybe you have stories like this in your life, but you've been with someone in intimate settings for three years. And then when you are in a time of trouble, that person says, I don't even know that person. I don't even know that guy. I don't even know that woman. That's just, that cuts. That cuts to the core of who we are to be denied and so I think about denying Christ and I think about us today how do we do this today I think that we're afraid like Peter sometimes I think that we could be ashamed of the gospel sometimes I think that we are silent and we deny Christ in our silence when opportunities might come so we have to consider and, and reflect and think about ourselves in those moments of failure. You know, like we have this society, this culture now, where we want to be polite all the time in, in the sense of kind of like a, almost like a politically correctness sort of a thing, political correctness sort of thing, where we want to be polite. We don't want to upset people or offend people. And it's become that talking about religion is one of those things that you know you're not supposed to talk about and so because of that then Jesus himself is someone that is almost like you're rude if we talk about and so we deny Christ out of our politeness have you ever done that I have you know I mean that's hard I think that's hard for all of us to just be silent you see, when, you, when it was in the early church time, okay, this first hundred years after Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're, they're, they're doing this thing. They're, they're getting all of this started, and they're trying to follow Jesus, but they're doing this under the shadow of the Roman Empire. And it was, it was not a time that you could sort of be casual or polite about following Jesus. If you followed Jesus, there would be strong demands on your discipleship. On your being a follower, it would, be, it, would just, it would be everything about you and your life. They would actually risk their very lives to follow Jesus because they begin to be persecuted by the Romans. They begin to be killed, executed by the Romans. There's even this <clears throat> interesting uh, thing where in AD 112, Pliny the Younger was the governor of Bithynia. And this is a region kind of near northern Turkey, Istanbul, and east. Just the, the northern part of modern-day Turkey is this uh, region of Bithynia. And so this guy who's the, 
the governor of that area wrote to the emperor, Trajan, of the time, and he asked for advice on how to deal with the depraved superstition of Christianity. Now, they call that this, and they talked to the emperor about this, because the number one religion of that time was to worship the emperor himself. Okay, that was what you were supposed to do, is go to the temple and worship the emperor, because he was deity in their minds. And so, this guy tells Trajan, he says that those who were arrested and accused were asked three times if they were Christians. If they admitted it, they were executed. If they denied it, they were required to prove it by worshiping the images of Caesar and cursing Jesus Christ. Quote, a thing which, it is said, genuine Christians cannot be induced to do. So three times they're asked to deny Christ. I wonder if they knew this tradition, if they knew this story of Peter and that tradition had kind of flown out from there, I don't know. But you think as these people in the early church are reading this gospel of Mark, this biography of Jesus that Mark wrote down that he got from talking with Peter about these stories and hearing them and writing them down and then they're being sent around to all the people in that early church time and they're reading these stories of denying Christ three times and then they know what's happening where their friends are being killed and being forced to deny Christ and to curse Christ and worship the emperor or else they'd be killed and you wonder what's going on in them as they're looking into all of this and will they take up their cross and follow Jesus even to the point of death or will they denounce Christ, save their lives but lose their very soul? right? It's an intense time of following Jesus in difficult, difficult circumstances. You consider what we are faced with in our modern day Roman Empire that we live under and in, in just this, this society that we live in today. We don't face this kind of execution, but a lot of times we face being excluded from certain positions and certain relationships and being looked down upon because we stand with Jesus. But will we stand with Jesus in our worlds today? You know, I, I, as I said, you know, I, I know that there's times when sometimes, I don't know if it's just, sometimes you stand strong and sometimes you're, you don't and sometimes you're tired and sometimes an opportunity opens you know, where you've, you, you're just having a regular conversation with somebody, and it's, maybe it's light, you're talking about sports and the weather and whatever, you're just talking about light things, but then you see an opening, and it opens to maybe talk about something a little more significant, and then maybe that's an opening to talk a little bit about Jesus, and maybe you've had those moments where there was that opening, and you just kind of said, ugh, you know, I don't want to do this right now, right? Like that kind of a moment. I think that in our silence is a big way that we can deny Christ today. And I'm not here to heap guilt on you for that, but I'm with you in that, and I I understand that, and I think that Jesus knows that. No, 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 I don't think that. I, I take that back. Rewind the tape. I know that Jesus knows that you will do that. And I know that he knows that we have done that, I have done that. 
And I know that he loves us in the midst of this, in the midst of all of that. And he wants to empower us for something more. And I believe that what we see in Peter, we see Peter just weep in this moment, right? When he has this realization, he weeps. And this is all coming over him and it's, it's all washing over him and that remorse and that grief. And then for Peter, Jesus dies. That's what happens next. Peter looks in Jesus' face and denies that he knows him. And then Jesus dies. You think of the one that you've wronged, and then he's dead. And now he doesn't, what's going on? How am I ever going to get this moment back? How can I make good for this? What am I supposed to do? And the last time he sees him, that's all he, that's all he did was deny him. And so he weeps and he grieves and he's got no closure with all of this. But then we advance the story, okay? So we advance the story, which is what's so great, to uh, we look in the book of John, okay? In the book of John, chapter 21, it's just a couple chapters over. And Jesus has died and then he's buried. And then the, the, the women, including Mary Magdalene, go out and they go to the tomb and they look for him. And he's not there. <laughs> and we're going to advance even a little bit farther because what's so beautiful is that Jesus restores Peter. Jesus restores Peter. And he appears to him, like he said, I'll meet you at Galilee. And they don't understand, why would I meet you at Galilee? They, they finally advance in this story where they're fishing again. They've gone back to their old jobs. And they're fishing and then... They see a person on the, on the side of the lake that says, cast your nets on the other side. And they get a ton of fish and they realize it's Jesus and they rush into him. And then Jesus makes them breakfast and then he says this, verse 15, John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, he calls him Simon here, not Peter, not Rock. He goes back to his old name. It's kind of renewing, he's restarting this whole thing. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. That's one. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. That's two. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he says to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. That's three. Three times in this moment, Jesus has Peter say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Three times Jesus says, I have mission for you care for my people, tend my sheep. Three times that happens. Three times he's denied him. Three times Jesus says, tell me you love me. Instead of denying me, now you've said I love you three times. He's covering that denial. He's covering that denial with love and with calling to mission. I am restoring you in the midst of this moment. I have so much for you. You have so much more to be able to give. You are not done. 
All of us have failed. All of us have sinned. We've fallen into sin and failure. And Peter's story reminds us that despite our failings, despite those moments of blowing it, that we have a God in Jesus who says to us, I love you in the midst of it. And like that story of the lost son, the prodigal son, that our God is waiting with open arms to run to us and to grab us up and welcome us back into his family. That's how God treats us. That's what he wants to do for us. But he calls us then to respond to him by running to him. You see, what happens here is that Peter responds with repentance. Peter responds with obedience. What we see in the midst of the denial story is as it hits him of what he's done, he weeps. And we don't get all the detail in that moment, but I think there's enough even in it saying that just Peter wept, that we know that this has struck Peter with remorse and grief, and he begins to have this, this time of repentance. I think he doesn't understand what's going on, but what's so interesting is what you see is then in John 20, remember when Jesus, when, when the women go to the tomb and they find it empty, and Mary Magdalene comes back and says, oh, I don't know where he is. I don't know where they put him. I don't know what's going on. And Peter and John, it says, they go running. In uh, John 20, it's, it's so awesome because it says they take off, basically, John and Peter. And they, they were going to the tomb. And in verse 4, it says, the two were running together. And the other disciple, which, is, by the way, is John, the author, the person writing these words is the other disciple. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And I love this little, this is such a like classic moment, I think. This is hilarious. That John is writing this and literally has to get a dig in like, and by the way, I was faster than Peter, you know, it's no big deal. <laughs> I think that's amazing, right? Like, that is how much, that's how competitive uh, guys are sometimes. That even when they write the Bible, they'll just be like, oh yeah, I was faster, no big deal, guys, right? Okay. And we are talking about that he was faster today. But no, but Peter, what he's doing though, what, what we see in the real way is that Peter runs to Jesus. When he hears that Jesus might be alive again, you got to think, the last time that he was with Jesus or talked about Jesus here that we see is he denied Jesus, that he even knew him. But what does he do now when he hears that he might be alive again? He runs for him. He runs towards him, not away. We have such uh, a tendency to hide, to flee, to, to avoid, having to face the hard thing or the, the person that we've wronged or anything like that. But he runs to him. And you see it on the next page even as well when Jesus appeared to them on the side of the Sea of Galilee in, in John 21. And Jesus says this whole thing. It's repeating a scene that's already happened once. He says, cast your nets on the other side. And then they were full. And John turns to Peter and is like, it's him. You know, it's Jesus. And Peter says he puts on his cloak and just jumps in the water, it says. that He, he says he threw himself into the sea to be able to run after Jesus. And he runs towards him and he meets Jesus there. And that's then when Jesus restores Peter. So I want to encourage us to, when we have wronged 
God, or even when we've wronged others, like, let's run towards that, but with, let's run to God in our failings, in our sins. Don't avoid, don't pull back, don't ignore, don't try to hide from God, because let me tell you, it won't work. So run to him and experience then the forgiveness and the restoration and his calling upon your life that he wants to give to you. And what's so cool too that what we see from Peter when we read the book of Acts, Acts 4, 19, 20 in that area, what we see is Peter preaching Jesus boldly and then he, you know, I mean, in this moment where he denies Christ, if he's afraid, if he's threatened, whatever it is, now he's preaching Christ boldly. He gets put in prison. He gets threatened, threatened that even worse will happen to him if he keeps doing this. And he just says, look, we're doing it. You know, you can tell us we're not supposed to. We're going to do this anyways. And he does. And we know that Peter preaches Christ until he is imprisoned and he is ultimately executed. Church tradition tells us that he was crucified by Nero and, and, and maybe upside down even, right? That Peter ends up dying in that similar way that Jesus does. And so we've all messed up. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. But are we going to live in that sin or that shame? Or are we going to live in the new identity that Jesus gives us because he is making beautiful things out of these big dumb rocks you know because Peter was called the rock but I think for a while Peter wasn't this strong rock he was just sort of a big dumb rock <laughs> and Jesus is making him something beautiful through all of even his failures there's a, a statue by Michelangelo who I think I could pretty safely say is the greatest sculptor of all time. And this statue of an angel that Michelangelo uh, was quoted as saying, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it's the task of a sculptor to discover it. He said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. That we are these rocks we are these rocks that are not the leaders of the early church kind of rocks we are rocks that are like the early days of peter where he would say stupid things make promises that he shouldn't have and blow it and sin but god is working at us and chipping away and sculpting us into what he already sees because jesus saw in peter not who he was in sin, but who he was in Christ. And he made him into that person through the power of the Holy Spirit in his life that all those negative rocks were cleared out of Peter's life and he became the rock of the early church that led them and preached boldly and was an amazing example of what a Christian and follower of Jesus should be. And that's what Jesus sees in you. And so you hold these rocks today. You hold these rocks that represent maybe your failure, your denying Christ, your sin. And what I want to encourage us now is in this moment of response is at our stations around the room where the communion elements are as well. 
that there are buckets that we can put these rocks into. These rocks, and we bring them as, as a way to represent our repentance, to represent learning from our failures, to represent being made from a big dumb rock into a rock that will impact the world for Jesus Christ. So if you need to spend some time in prayer about that as we sing, if you need to come to the prayer points and pray with someone about that or anything else, please do. But recognize that Jesus knows that you have sinned and will sin, and he loves you and wants to forgive you of that sin, and he wants to make you into a rock that will impact the world for him. So as we come forward, we'll put our rocks in these buckets as a way of saying, this represents my repentance and my surrender to Jesus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you, Lord, for this example of Peter. Thank you for the fact that the example of the leader of the early church is a really messy life. Lord, and as we try to live these lives for you, we know that we will sin, and Lord, we don't want to. We want to live for you, so I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will give us the strength to live each day powerfully for you. Lord, chip away at the rock and let us see ourselves as the beautiful, beautiful piece of art that you have made us to be, God. Thank you that you do that for us. You are the great artist, the great sculptor. And we long to serve you in the calling that you have given us for our lives. Lord, may your spirit meet us here in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.